You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. If you were with us last week, I had walked through the uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 10, kind of verse by verse, and uh, kind of expounded on the passage and the meanings and the words and all that. And today, what I'm going to do is finish up our series called Respect the Beard. It's uh, the idea that in ancient Hebrew culture, the beard kind of symbolized wisdom. It connected the head to the heart, and it was kind of a sign or a, a symbolism of this kind of wisdom that comes with uh, people. Um, this morning, what I want to do is we're going to uh, continue on in our morning. We got baptisms planned. I just had the beautiful privilege to baptize my daughter in the first service. It was a ton of fun. She was the last. Yeah, we can celebrate that. She's the last family member in my family that I got to baptize. So it was really, I felt like the, the circle was completed. It was really beautiful. Um, really special time. Well, hey, I like to have fun to kind of start off. I, I heard this funny story the other day about a little boy who wanted really badly $100. And so he prayed for two weeks and then nothing happened. So then he decided to write a letter to the Lord requesting this $100. And when the postal authorities received the letter addressed to the Lord USA, they decided, let's send it to the president. The president was so impressed and touched and amused that he instructed the secretary to send the little boy a $5 bill, as this would appear to be a lot of money for a little boy, the little boy was delighted when he found the $5 bill and he sat down to write a thank you note to the Lord. And this is what it said. Dear Lord, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it through Washington, D.C. And as usual, the government deducted $95. (laughs) This morning, what I want to do is I want to teach you about finances, uh, Secrets to Success by King Solomon. Last week, I walked verse by verse through Proverbs 3, 5, uh, 3, 5, all the way down to verse 10. Today, what I'm going to do is give you a, a survey, an overview of principles all throughout the book of Proverbs today. Um, Solomon, he was born in around 974 BC. He was installed as king over Israel by his father, David. Being young and lacking wisdom, he prayed a prayer that would go down in history that would change everything for him. While many new kings would ask for power and wealth, Solomon didn't ask for that. Solomon asked for knowledge and wisdom to rule rightly. The Bible says in 1 Kings 3.9 and 2 Chronicles 1.10 that because he didn't ask for wealth and riches like all the other kings and of, of other nations... God gave him more wisdom, knowledge, riches, and wealth, and honor than any other king ever before him. His wealth increased to that of a current-day trillionaire. His wisdom was recorded in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Psalms. And unfortunately, later in his life, he would violate the principles of wisdom and wealth, and his success would vaporize absolutely vanish. And so we stand at this place in time where we can look back on history and learn from the mistakes, but also hold on to the principles 
of wisdom that he has to teach us when it comes to wealth and wisdom and financial stewardship. My guess is, is you are motivated by a couple of things. I mentioned last week, most people are motivated to achieve something, accomplish something. And we get depressed and discouraged if we can't achieve or accomplish. Maybe it's you want to achieve a a level of success in your business, or maybe it's that you want to achieve a level of success in your family or your finances. Whatever be the case, most people, if they're healthy and right in some sense or manner, they want to achieve. I believe that if we learn these principles we're going to achieve far greater than we've ever imagined. Not necessarily from an earthly perspective, but definitely from an eternal perspective. If you live your life according to God's word and God's ways, then you're going to achieve greatness. At our church, we like to say, we're a great church. Why are we a great church? Because we commit ourselves to achieve obedience in the area of the great commandments and the great commission. I think you should be motivated to listen because what I'm about to teach you will help you in your ambition for achievement in a God-honoring, God-glorifying way. Secondly, most of us want to be fulfilled. We want to be happy. We want significance and meaning and purpose in life. Sometimes we lack the principles and the priorities and the persistence to actually do that. Fulfillment, I believe, comes when you live in line with your design. God actually made you, formed you, fashioned you in a certain way to live according to his way. When you live his way, you're always going to be better fulfilled, even when you're going through difficult, dark times. And so today, what I want to do, I'm just going to walk through a series of principles I hope that you spend the rest of your life trying to wrestle with to apply And I believe you will find greater levels of achievement and fulfillment in your life. Number one, the Bible teaches us that diligence leads to wealth. If you want to be wealthy, you must be diligent according to the scriptures. Is there a warning for the wealthy? Absolutely. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. Why is that? Because money has a magnetism and a power that can lure you away from the master Jesus and try to enslave you to the power and the greed and the pomp of earthly possessions. But diligence, according to Solomon, he says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to what? Abundance. Everyone who is hasty comes only to what? Poverty. Diligence here, as you might perceive it, is if you did a little dictionary search, would mean that you're persistent and you stick with it. You have a stick-to-itiveness about you. Solomon's meaning and idea is a lot deeper than that. In fact, he was a, a, a professional business person who orchestrated large mining operations to look for gold, and he had vast reserves far greater than any other king ever before him. And this word diligent means to dig into, to creatively utilize the resources in order to mine out and bring up the most creative solutions and to find wisdom. If you're going to grow in wealth in a God-honoring way, diligence has got to be a part of it. It's a direct correlation, in fact, in the rest of scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 12, 27, it says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. 
I read that passage and I laugh because I think of, when I think of this uh, precious phrase, I've always gone back to Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite uh, movie series, and I think of Schmeagel, who always said, precious. And what would Schmeagel do? He would eat things that were raw without even being roasted or cooked. He just would eat raw fish. And here you've got this terrible, shocking imagery where Solomon says the slothful won't even roast the game. They can't even wait. They can't go to the grill and cook it. No, let me eat it raw. This isn't sushi, ladies and gentlemen. The slothful will not roast the game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent, what? Makes rich. Solomon's just trying to lay out principles. Can we follow them? Can we trust them? I would. I believe all God's word is inspired, authoritative, useful for correcting, teaching, and training in righteousness. All scripture is. It's God-breathed. What about Solomon's missteps? Well, I believe that most, most of what we see here in the Proverbs was written before his missteps and, and also just because he made some tr- critical mistakes doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to them. Solomon's laying out foundations and we're looking at success secrets that oftentimes people forget that can add to a greater level, I believe, of wealth, wisdom, and financial stewardship. Number two, trust in God, not yourself or your money. Ecclesiastes 5.10, Solomon wrote, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Money won't really satisfy you. You're looking for fulfillment in life? It's not in a dollar figure. You'll get to the top of wherever you're trying to go in your financial wealth. Maybe you pay off debt, pay off the house, change the mortgage from 30 to 15. You pay it off and you're like, hallelujah, sweet Jesus, I'm happy. You are. And then the happiness fades. Why? Because God set eternity in the hearts of men. And so you will have a complete longing in your heart until Jesus is king in your heart. Money won't satisfy Why should we even mess with it? Well, because money can be used in a powerful tool to do great things. But don't let it tempt you or lure you. Many people have thought that money is the root of all evil. No, money is not the root of all evil. It's the what? It's the love of money. Don't love money. Love Jesus the master. If you love money, you'll become a slave to money. Let money be a tool to use for blessing, for kingdom, works. Take care of your family. Take your family on vacations. Give generously to the church. Give generously back and make a ministry impact in God's kingdom. Trust in God, not yourself or your money. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is what I taught through the first half of that section I worked through last week. Most people try to apply this uh, to every other area in their life other than finances, and it absolutely relates to finances. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Some of you have gotten off the path and found yourself buried with a mountain of debt. You're in a financial crisis. And that burden is too big for you to bear. You go to King Jesus and he helps you. You look to his word. You start saying, God, I'm going to trust in your ways, not my own. I want to lean not on my understanding, but I want to lean on your understanding. And so if you're going to get this correct, and 
pursue a pathway that says, God, I want to make money and I want to have a level of wealth so I can be a greater blessing to people around you. Okay, go do that. However, realize the temptations will increase as the wealth increases. And you better live according to God's plans and purposes in Scripture. You're going to have to trust in not yourself, but trust in who? The Lord. You're going to have to lean not on your understanding, but on God's understanding. I need to remind you, it's not in the Proverbs or Solomon's wisdom, but it is in Scripture. For those of you that are living with a a significant level of wealth, and we do in the North Valley, most of us have more wealth than a, a majority of the world around us. Recently, I went down to Mexico, and I was helping build a house down there, and I see the immense poverty that's all around, and that's a good representation of how the majority of the world lives, looking for where they're going to find their next meal, trying to figure out if they can take care of their kids or have clean water. We don't think about that kind of stuff. But for those of you that are moving and grooving, and God's blessed you with enough to take care of your family and, and enough to pay the bills... You need to hear this, Deuteronomy 8.18. You need to do an 8.18 on your life. God gives the ability to produce wealth. You didn't do it. Don't take the glory. Every penny you've ever earned is because God gave you that ability to do it. He's the king. He's the one who made you the way you are. If you make a lot of money, guess what? God gave you that ability to do that. So live in a godly way that makes a lot of money. You don't make, you make a medium amount of money. God gave you the ability to do that. He's the one who gives you the ability to do that. You don't make a whole lot of money. Well, God's the ability that gave you the ability to do that. Always give credit back to God. The worst thing you can do is go through life being proud and arrogant, prideful and arrogant. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives what? Grace to the humble. That's where Solomon got in trouble. He thought of too much of himself, got really prideful and arrogant, turned away from the teaching, and became an utter failure. But the principle here that we're going to look at next is one I mentioned last week. The third is this, is that generously give and trust God's extraordinary blessing. This is consistent not only in the Proverbs and Solomon's wisdom, but all through Scripture. Bible says, one who, freely, one who gives freely yet grows all the richer. Uh, there was a, a guy that d- developed earth-moving machine. I think it was uh, Laterno was the guy's name. He, he was the one who was one of the very first guys who started building the, the big uh, earth-moving machines, the, the caterpillars, the, 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 dirt, the dirt machines, the, the bulldozers and all that stuff. And he became a Christian and he began to share that Hey, as, as he began to shovel out resources and finances into God's church, he said, I realized that God had a bigger shovel and kept pouring it back in. Oftentimes, when we realize that we start living freer and give more generously, God will grow one's wealth. Why is that? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And what he wants to do is he wants to identify the givers According to Romans, that's even a spiritual gift, this gift of giving. God says, oh man, that guy I can trust with more resources, or that gal I can trust with more resources. Therefore, I'm going to bring more into that individual's life, and they're going to steward that in such a way as an ambassador of Jesus Christ in my kingdom, and therefore they're going to grow in further wealth. That's often the case. It's not always the case. 
But look what the scripture says. One grows freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds, that's greedy, what, should, what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 19, 17 says something very similar. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And at the closing of Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. I told you last week, uh, different perspectives on the Bible and giving and, and rewards. Uh, some people take the prosperity gospel movement and say, okay, if I do this, God's going to always bless me back. No, that's not the case. He can, and he often does. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach uh, that if you become a Christian, you're going to become healthy, wealthy, and wise. You need to live out uh, godly principles, scripture in your life. You need to walk according to God's word. And oftentimes the case is when you honor the Lord with your finances, God's going to reward you financially. Maybe not. Maybe he'll reward you in some other way. The Bible doesn't teach a poverty theology that you need to become poor and sell all your possessions and go live and crown king Arizona. The Bible doesn't say you need to run to the hills and become an isolationist and you're going to be more holy. No. The Bible teaches a stewardship theology. Whatever you have, whether you're rich or poor, it all belongs to the Lord and you use it for his glory. You get more in life, God gave you the ability to do that. Use it to glorify him and enjoy him and enjoy everything that he's given you. I want to read to you a, a, a message that I received in an email from, I'll call her Miss Smith. She writes this. She says, good evening, Pastor Ryan. When listening to your sermon this morning, this was from last week. She says, it was disappointing to see the statistics on tithing. Last week, I showed you a, a list of all the, the, the folks that attend North Valley in 2018. 316, I think it was, families uh, that attend our church. And there was, I think, 93 families that never given a penny to the church. And I'm like, man, that's tough. Um, and we challenged the church and said, just take your next step. Wherever you're at, if you give nothing, just start giving something. Uh, some of you were given, uh, 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 you were given uh, uh, significantly and you were taking that step. And we challenged you, why don't you move forward and give sacrificially? Uh, go back and listen to the message. Uh, this is in response to that message last week. She says, listening to your sermon this morning, it was disappointing to see the t statistics on tithing. I'm not normally one to send an email regarding a sermon, but I thought I should share with you an example of God's faithfulness, faithfulness in my life. I was raised in a Christian home, and I was always taught the importance of tithing. Though the challenges of life have become hard as a single parent, there has been the temptation to hold back to be sure that we had enough money to pay the bills and meet our needs. But God has always been faithful when times were tough. He always comes through, even at the last minute, almost as to show off. I couldn't even think about how I could send my son to college and it just seemed insurmountable but God always has proven that when we are faithful he will always come through my son is now a senior at college at GCU and just in the nick of time as in God's amazing fashion my son received 
full scholarships through his work, his good deeds, job opportunities on campus and other areas. God even provided for him to live on campus all four years. When he drops by, we often talk about how thankful and blessed we are and remind each other of God's continued faithfulness in both of our lives. We just marvel at God's greatness. Absolutely nothing is too difficult for him. My son will be graduating from college absolutely debt-free. God hasn't always uh, only helped us financially, but God has helped us in many other ways. My oldest son passed away at the age of 15, just before my youngest son turned eight years old. It's a long, it's a long story, but he basically grew up without a, father's, a father as his dad couldn't deal with the death of our son. God brought many godly men into his life through his high school years who truly made an impact on him. His dad committed suicide five years ago, and he was, he's been surrounded by these godly, amazing men. Needless to say, in our lives, we have been shaped and touched by God's faithfulness. In your role as a pastor, I'm sure there's many constantly uh, leaning on you and your family for strength and help. It's my hope that this email would bring encouragement to you regarding God's faithfulness. I pray that God would renew your strength, lift you up, and encourage you and your family as you continue to speak God's word into our lives. God bless, Miss Smith. Isn't that cool? Can we celebrate that for a moment? I want to challenge you to, to generously give and trust God for extraordinary blessings. Uh, God loves to reward uh, those who obey him. As well, I want to challenge you as well, don't overuse and abuse debt. And this is perhaps a very important topic for, uh, for every American. Uh, according to 2016 nerd wallet statistics, the average American household carries about $16,000 in credit card debt. This will kill you. According to the Federal Reserve, the average interest rate for the U.S. credit cards has been approximately 14% to 15% since early 2018. Let me just give you some words of advice real quick. You need to pay off the smallest debt first as fast as you can. If you've got less than $16,000 of credit card right now debt, then you're actually above average. I hope, my prayer is, is that every member of North Valley will, will be above average, especially in this area of financial stewardship. Get rid of that debt as fast as you can. Maybe you consolidate them and put it on a lower interest rate if at all possible. You might need to cut up the credit card or perhaps put it in some water and put it in the freezer and freeze it. You think that's not a good idea, you should try it. And then when you can't handle yourself on that, you pull out that credit card, you let it fall out, and you just cut it up and say, burn, baby, burn. You got to be really careful. You need to, ultimately, you just got to, you got to figure out who's spending the money in the house and control the spender. Oftentimes in a marriage, you have a spender and a saver. Control the spender. You, a lot of fights happen. A lot of divorces happen because you can't manage the money. I want to challenge you to live by God's design. What does the Bible say about the overuse and the abuse of debt? The Bible says that the Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the, po the borrower is slave to the lender. 
Now, what I'd like to do is give you a little bit of a biblical perspective on debt. Um, broader than this passage and more than I've got time to unpack in all the passages. And this isn't in your notes or it's not on the presentation, but you might want to pay close attention. There are many popular misconceptions about scriptural teaching on debt. People often assume that the Bible takes a certain position and it does not. The following that I'm about to share with you is a good starting point and there's a lot of misunderstandings. What the Bible doesn't say, just listen. What the Bible doesn't say is that it's a sin to borrow money. Let me say that again. The Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to borrow money. Many of you have borrowed money to buy a house. Raise your hand if you did that. Okay, most of you. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to do that. So don't live in any kind of guilt or frustration over that. Um, people that tell you, oh, well, you should pay cash for your house. Okay, um, you must be Sam Walton. Didn't know that. Uh, that just doesn't happen. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to borrow money. Some people have the ability to purchase out a house outright. That's great. Um, but the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to borrow. It doesn't say as well, listen, that it's wise to borrow. The Bible never affirms it's a great idea to go borrow a bunch of money. It doesn't say that. The Bible, it doesn't say that God's going to bail you out of debt. Like if you get yourself into debt, like God's going to take care of me. I'm so happy. I, I'm trusting the Lord in this. I've seen people drive up and nice cars and they're like, I got one for me and I got one for my wife and the Lord just blessed us and we got these amazing deals. And, and even though my wife lost her job and my, I'm getting cut down, the Lord's blessed us. I'm like, no, that is not blessing. That is called burden. Um, and God oftentimes won't bail you out. He's going to let you work through the pain and the, and the struggle of that decision. The Bible doesn't say that debt is an exercise of faith. Don't think that you're exercising your faith. If you go out, I'm trusting in the Lord for this. He's going to pay me back. He's going gonna to provide in extraordinary ways. No, borrowing. The Bible doesn't say that it's any kind of exercise of faith. And lastly, it doesn't say that it's a sin to loan money. Some of you loan money to family members. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to do that. There's warning against that. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin. So if you're loaning money to businesses or friends or family, the Bible doesn't say it's a sin. It is challenging and it is hard. What's clear is this, that it's, here's what's clear about the Bible when it comes to uh, loans and, and borrowing and all that. It's wrong not to repay debt. If you have a debt and you're not going to repay it, let me just tell you, God's blessing is not on that. If you've got a debt and you say, well, I'm not going to pay that back. I'm going to ignore them. I'm not going to mess with it. Let me just tell you, you're living in sin. Sin is doing anything against God's will and God's way. If you've got a debt, pay it. If you owe somebody money, pay them back. What are you doing? You're acting foolish and you're violating and you're clearly in sin. You're doing things your way, not God's way. So it's wrong not to repay your debts. Always repay your debts. If you've got a debt, pay it. Even if you can't pay the whole amount of the monthly charge, pay five bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, as much as you can. Secondly, what's clear about the Bible with debt and loans and all that is that it is, it's foolish to put yourself in a surety situation. In other words, co-signing. 
We've got a lot of empty nesters in our church, and many of you are trying to help your kids and your grandkids, and you co-sign for them. The Bible warns you and calls that foolishness. Uh, you should, you should, it would be better for you to, to just give them a little bit of money and say, I hope the Lord provides the rest for you. Well, I hope you can go out and find the rest, but I'm not going to co-sign for you. The Bible says it's, it's foolish to do that. I would just encourage you, I've heard people say as well, they've said, uh, well, I like to, uh, I've got friends and family members that I've loaned money to and they never pay me back. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't loan them money. Just don't even do it. But then they would get mad and they might be frustrated because they know I make a lot of money and so I want to help. Well, great, I'm glad you want to help. Here's how you can help. They come to you and say, hey, Uncle Billy, do you think you could loan me 500 bucks? And you're Uncle Billy and you've got plenty of money. You got plenty of 500. I mean, you could easily give them 500 bucks or loan them 500 bucks. You say, hey, little Jimmy, I'm not going to loan you 500 bucks, but I tell you what I will do. I'm going to give you 100. And I don't even want you to give it back. I don't want you to pay me back. It's yours. Just keep it. I pray and hope that you can go out and get the rest yourself and we're good. Why? Because if little Jimmy doesn't pay uh, his uncle back, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be a tension every time they see each other. And they won't even come to the family gatherings together. They won't even talk to each other. They won't even talk on the phone anymore. The relationship gets burned. Why? Because the borrower is slave to the what? The lender. So just get, give people money rather than try to orchestrate loans and all that stuff would be my suggestion. Number five, fifth principle is this, is I would challenge you to seek wise counsel. Whatever decision that you've got, whatever that you're going through, you just need to seek wise counsel. There's a, a bunch of different passages. I'll just give you one. But the Bible says that poverty and disgrace comes to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. When you, when, if you ignore instruction, you're going to get in trouble. You need to surround yourself with a number of, of counselors. I'll give you one more passage. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. What does that mean? I like to say you have kings in your corner. You put godly, wise people in your corner all the time in whatever industry you're in, whatever practice you're in, whatever business you're in, whatever field of study you're in, you put wise advisors in your life and you take or leave their advice. They're just consultants. They're just advisors. They don't make decisions for you, but they inform you and help you. They pray for you. They encourage you. Always seek wise counsel. If you've got a project that you're thinking about, praying about, talking about, you need to seek wise counsel. Number six, I challenge you, always work hard. Hard work is always profitable. You say always, it's always profitable. It's going to gain you something. It might not gain you a financial profit, but it's going to give you something. If you learn how to work hard, when I went to college, I think they made me work hard in academics just to stretch my brain to see if my brain would do it. And it did. Quantitative methods. I'm not using quantitative methods today. I'm not using business statistics and all that. But what I am doing is I've learned to work hard and be a, a, a student of the study. Hard work is always profitable. All hard work brings a profit, but merely talk leads only to poverty. We live in an instant generation where people are trying to get rich fast and become famous really quick as well. 
a YouTube generation, film yourself and start your own show and do all this and try to make six figures within five years of graduating college, it's not happening. Nine out of 10 times, it's not happening. You've got to work hard at it over a long period of time. Number seven, the seventh principle is laziness breeds poverty and hunger. If you're lazy, you're probably not going to make a lot of money. Uh, you're probably going to find yourself hungry. In fact, this is a very dangerous passage. Um, slothfulness caught, cast into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. Um, the Bible tells us as well that if you can't provide for the needs of your family, then you're worse than an unbeliever. You got to work hard. I've met people before and they're incredibly gifted, have a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and some good experience in the business field. And then they lost their job. And then they say to me, I haven't had an income in six months. I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Well, I'm trying to find a job, but I just can't find my fit. And I say to them, well, you're running out of money. Yeah, I'm running out of money. Well, McDonald's is hiring. They don't want to lower themselves to that level because it's too low for them. And I get it. That's fine. However, if the money dries up, you're in trouble. You just got to work no matter what. Bible challenges us in this. The eighth principle that I'll give to you is that most people don't understand this, but for wealthy people, gather, they gather wealth little by little. It's not lot by lot. It's just little by little. In business school, I had the opportunity, I studied the, the, most, the wealthiest people in the world, and there was a common characteristic of the, of the average millionaire in North America that we looked at specifically, and it was this, is that they gained wealth over decades, not days. And they lived in an average house that was paid for. They did little things like change their mortgage from a 30-year mortgage to a 15-year mortgage. And then they just worked harder and become better at their profession and their work. And they learned how to manage their money in a way that was God honoring and God glorifying uh, in, in the principles. Whether Christian or non-Christian, there's, there's principles that you can apply regardless of your faith. The Bible says, Proverbs 13, 11, that wealth gained hastily, hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Sometimes it's the... Little by little, most of us overestimate what we can do in a short period of time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Most of us overestimate ourselves. And most of us also underestimate ourselves about what we can do over a long period of time. If you start thinking long term, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, this is what I'm going to be able to do. But I got to start taking steps now. Last principle is this, is just commit your work to the Lord Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Really? I think so. How do you commit your work to the Lord? You make sure it's, it's the work that God wants you to do. I like to say you keep your hands open on the issue. God, this is what I want to do. This is the project I want to take. I need your help. Can we do it? You want me to do it? Wise counsel, kings in the corner say, I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about this. I've noticed this and that, but I think that's a good, good plan. What does your spouse say? Oh, well, my spouse said actually the other day they were praying and they felt like God's presence and peace about the situation. And in fact, we opened up the word and the, and the Bible affirmed this kind of idea of what we were doing. It didn't say specifically. And then I just feel inside of me, I got a gut level intuition that this is a good move. Then hold it all before the Lord. What do we often do? We make a plan and we hold it so tightly. And then we realize it's not working out right. And 
all of a sudden we get mad and angry at God, like he's the one to blame. Or if you're in a driving illustration, oftentimes in life and the way we live our life is God wants us to keep it in neutral. When we're driving, just put it in neutral and he can move you forward or he can move you back. But what do we do oftentimes? We get an idea, we get lured into a, a thought process, we compare, or we do all that kind of thing, and we put it into drive and we start driving. And then we start shifting gears. Now we're in third. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I never told you to drive forward on that thing. Get it back to neutral. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the principles of wisdom that we can apply into our life. I pray for us that we would live a God-honoring life with every penny that ever comes into our bank accounts. And Lord, we would use it to take care of our families and build up our faith and generously invest into kingdom initiatives, the local church and beyond. I pray, God, that you would bless all those who seek obedience. And Lord, your word says that you give grace to the humble. I pray for people that choose that decision to tithe and to give and to honor the Lord with the principles we've learned, that you would bless them exponentially and that they would stay humble. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.